Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. This is for the week ending December 3rd, 2020. We're doing this a day early today. I have some travel over the weekend and tomorrow I will be on One American News Network at 4.30 p.m. on Wall to Wall with Greta Wall and at 7.30 p.m. or between 7 and 7.30 on CGTN America with Rochelle Akufo. So it's gonna be hard for me to get it done tomorrow night. So you're getting it a day early as I learned growing up, better a day early than a minute late. So here we go. Uh, let's get started with some of the media spots and some of the key concepts that we covered. Um, was uh, first I want to talk about the appearance with Liz Clayman on the Clayman Countdown Fox Business on Tuesday. Uh, they were talking about the stimulus package at that point. The $908 billion package was floated. The market was up midday, and I, I gave some commentary. I'd like to thank, uh, by the way, Liz Clayman and Edward Krajewski for inviting me on. And... Um, at that point, in the $908 billion package, they had $288 billion of small business PPP. They had uh, $45 billion for transportation, $82 billion for education, $26 billion for nutrition, and $160 billion for state and local government uh, funding, as well as $300 a week unemployment extension for four, four more months. Um, that's probably a non-starter based on the rhetoric going back and forth. Um, effectively where I think we end up is where I'd always thought we'd go and talked about was the money that was left over from CARES. Uh, Mnuchin took the, Secretary Mnuchin took the important step of calling that back from the Fed into the general fund at the Treasury, which then um, arguably requires congressional approval, but we have posted some documents from Duke Law in the past that says once it's appropriated that the president has a lot of discretion over 200 year, years of uh, history. Whether he could do an executive order or not remains to be seen. Um, so, but my sense is whether it's initiated through the, through the executive branch or if Congress allows the reappropriation, my sense is they will get something done to use up the $500 billion of CARES money that was not done, and uh, that would be a good thing. So I think I, I really do think 900 billion is off the table at the moment, um, but I do think they'll use the full 500 billion and maybe tack a little bit on and make a sweetener. Six, seven hundred billion would be very, very nice. Uh, we'll see where that leads. The other thing we talked about just uh, standard December statistics. Uh, the impact there was coming off such a big month in November. Would things slow down with the regional shut, shutdowns, with the case spikes, etc.? And the statistics favor that there will be no Grinch and that Santa Claus is coming. We have moved a, a long way in a short period of time. We're going to address that, though, because if you actually look out over the last three years and over the last 20 years, we're well below trend in terms of total returns compounded. Um, but leaving that aside for, for the purpose of this, 90% uh, of the time... The uh, stock market is up between Thanksgiving and Christmas over the last 25 years. And then Tom Lee came out with this stat 100% of the time since uh, World War II when the market was up 10 to 15% through November. Uh, it was up 100% of the time in December. 
Um, and, you know, the, the key point that um, we like to reemphasize, because on multiple uh, appearances with Fox uh, on Liz's show, we've been talking about the rotation and we've been talking about uh, the, la- the laggards of, of 2020 would become the leaders of 2021 and constantly pounding the table the last couple of months, banks, defense stocks, energy. And if you've listened to this uh, podcast video cast, uh, by the way, this is episode 59 on the video cast, episode, episode 49 on the podcast, uh, then you know we've been really hammering that home. And November, it all came to roost at, with the trigger being the vaccine, which we had been stating weekly in our weekly note uh, since August that that would be the trigger, and that's certainly been the case. Uh, energy as a sector for the month of November was up 33%. Defense stocks were up 23%. Banks were up 20%. Small caps had their best month ever. Dow had the best month since 1987. You compare that to tech and communication services were each only up 9%. So we are getting the relative outperformance, not zero sum, as we've always stated, relative outperformance of these groups. And on individual names, it's really off the chart, some of the outperformance. And to reemphasize, cyclicals historically outperformed the first six months after the election and also the first eight quarters of a new business cycle. Why? Because economically sensitive stocks do best when you have fast GDP growth. You have fast GDP growth when you have stimulus off a very low base, off of very easy comps, and that's the sweet spot that we're in right now. And uh, I talked about you know, the, the last time that uh, we had been on talking about banks, defense stocks, and energy, uh, Wells Fargo was up in uh, 30% in November, Raytheon was up 35% in November, and ExxonMobil was up 25%. And we gave a new pick. Uh, you see the Hayes plays here, Wells Fargo, Exxon. Uh, we talked about Walgreens Boots Alliance, uh, with the catalyst being the vaccine traffic. Uh, both CVS and Walgreens are going to play an integral role in administering vaccines in person. And they're going to get millions of bodies of foot traffic through the store, buying, if they're anything like me, unfortunately, buying Reese's peanut butter cups on their way out and all the other things that you grab when you're in the Walgreens drugstore. So, uh, so we like that play. It's been beat down on the Amazon news. Uh, it, all of that's priced in. Uh, they had uh, certainly a major slowdown in the UK, but they're coming through that. So all the all the stars are aligning for Walgreens, and they were up huge in the last couple of days since that. I think they were up seven percent uh, today or yesterday alone. So uh, so that one is really starting to move. We like that, and uh, of course it's a value play. So that was with. Um, with Liz. And she also asked the question about like, will all these case bikes slow things down? And the point I made was that we've got uh, about $20 trillion globally in 12 trillion in fiscal stimulus, almost 8 trillion in in monetary liquidity. And that's going to grow. We'll probably get another 500 billion of stimulus in the US. Um, So that works on a six to nine month lag before you start to feel it in the real economy. All that money was put out in late spring and early summer. So we're kind of right in the sweet spot of when it's going to really start to pick up velocity in the economy. 
and that should offset these regional slowdowns and shutdowns just to get over the bridge until the vaccinations start, which could be as quickly as a week and a half. I was very pleased to see that uh, UK beat us to the punch, and that's going to get our FDA moving a bit quicker, a little fear of loss, and, and get the vaccinations going maybe as soon as, as December 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th in that range. We've got 20 million going out to the frontline workers and the uh, long-term care people, and probably another 20 million next month. And by June, uh, the end of May, 100% of people in this country who want a vaccine will have a vaccine. There was a headline towards the end of the day, if you were paying attention to the market, that for those, uh, I'll just talk in Dow terms because that's what a lot of uh, retail people look at. It was up like tw uh, 212 points, the Dow, and then a headline came out that Pfizer would have less supply than they thought. Uh, it turned out to be uh, not wholly accurate and the market traded down on algos. Uh, and not wholly ac accurate by the fact that they're going to have more than a billion vaccines. If I remember correctly, it's still going to be like 1.3 billion vaccines available in 2021. So if they got knocked off for a month by 50 million doses or something like that, it, it makes no difference. That We've got more than enough. And Moderna uh, reasserted their commitment to having the numbers that they had already promised. So uh, And then that, that doesn't include... AstraZeneca coming online, J&J coming online. We'll have all the vaccines we need, and we've got more than enough to get started. All we need is the approval, and uh, we need to get that done before the other countries so that we get uh, first dibs on some of these vaccines for our frontline front workers and uh, those most vulnerable. So, um, so that should be an offset in the short term as well as the seasonality. This is another thing about Walgreens uh, that was in the Wall Street Journal today. They're also not only going to be delivering them uh, within their facilities, but they're going to be delivering vaccines to nursing homes. Huge business. You know, that's just phenomenal to see. Then uh, yesterday I was on... Um, I thought this was in chronological chronological order, but it, that's fine. Uh, I was on Yahoo Finance with Shauna Smith and Adam Shapiro. It was great to be back on with them. I used to go on Shauna's show when she had her uh, own hour at 2 o'clock. Now she's in prime time on the closing bell with Adam, and Adam used to be in the morning, so it was nice to be back with both of them. And I want to thank uh, not only Shauna and Adam, I'd like to thank Sarah Smith as well as Brigitte Webb. Uh, Sarah's the producer and Brigitte did a lot of the coordination. So thanks for putting that together. And that was a lot of fun to uh, go on. We covered some of the same points on a different network, but uh, what we wanted to talk about was uh, really the level of growth that we're experiencing um, You know, to justify a no Grinch, Santa Claus coming to town type of market. Uh, we were coming off 33.1% annualized GDP, uh, strongest since 1945, I have here, 1948. Um, and what's the new news is that uh, for Q4, everyone's been really concerned about Q4 because of the regional shutdowns and the COVID spikes. Uh, Atlanta GDP just took up their GDP now to 11 over 11% estimates for Q4, which is well above consensus. So that's very positive to see. People are spending, people are getting back to normal, whether it's online or in person. Um, and um, as well as, you know, 
the lagged effect of a 25% increase money supply year on year, yielding five to 6% GDP growth. Consensus is lower than that. Uh, I'm the, you know, uh, David Costin is up at 5%. I think it's gonna be closer to 6% just because um, the recovery globally, I mean, China basically got to pre-pandemic levels without the vaccine. Uh, we're getting very close on a, on a lot of metrics without the vaccine. So you add the vaccine, you add the lagged effect of $20 trillion globally. I really think we're going to have a rocket ship set up uh, moving forward. A uh, couple other things. Adam was asking me about um, why was oil up yesterday? And it was two things. Number one, we had a, a crude draw, which was a very positive thing. Uh, I think 600,000 barrels after the API was a build API you generally don't pay much attention to. And secondly, there were rumors that the we were going to get the positive outcome with the OPEC meeting, which had been delayed. We, we did get that outcome. So effectively what happened was uh, rather than the initial schedule of dropping um, 2 million barrels of cuts uh, from 7.7, cut 7.7 million barrel cuts per day down to 5.7 million barrels a day from January of 2021 through April of 2022, which was the original plan. Uh, they they reduced the amount of, um, you know, the, the cuts. So rather than going down to just cutting, um, they, they rather increased the amount of cuts relative to the schedule. So by the schedule, they were supposed to go down to only 5.7 million barrels a day. They're staying up at 7.2 million barrels a day, down from 7.7 .7 million barrels a day. But with the demand kicking up, and you saw with Ryanair uh, going going ahead with, uh, I think, 71 Boeing jets today, everyone knows the game is back on. Domestic air travel in China is uh, higher than pre-pandemic levels. Uh, we saw many million people a day throughput on the TSA uh, in the last couple of weeks, which is, you know, albeit it's only 40% of pre-pandemic or a little less depending on the day, it's still pretty impressive considering um, that we don't have the vaccine yet, although it's starting within, uh, you know, a week and a half, hopefully two weeks at the most if they drag their feet, but hopefully the UK lit a fire under them. So that was the story on Adam's question about energy. Um, the other aspect was um, uh, just seeing the breadth of the market starting to increase the health of the market. You know, the top five weights of the S&P that everyone's talking about, FANG was 24, 25% of the S&P. It's now closer to 21%, so that's rolling over and uh, it's being made up by the cyclicals that we've discussed, energy, defense, banks, etc. So all of that's positive. The risk obviously is sentiment is euphoric right now. So everyone's looking for the pullback and when everyone's looking for the pullback is when you might not get it. Uh, AAII is over 47, that's the uh, individual investors retail. That happened twice in recent history in Q1 of 2018, and we did get a 10 to 15% pullback depending on the index. And it also happened in Q4 of 2016 after the election. And we got a monster rally for 14 months, even though we were 
at euphoric levels at the start of the rally. So I'm more inclined to give the benefit of the doubt here to uh, 2016, the, the conditions and the setup as we've covered in our October 29th article are very similar. And um, I'm inclined, more inclined to think that while everyone's looking for a correction, what no one's talking about is the potential for a melt up. Um, I wouldn't bet the ranch on it, but the fact that no one's looking at that possibility tells me that there might be something there, um, much more so than the correction that everyone's expecting. And you have the chase into year end. So if you want to worry about a correction, my senses start to worry after the turn of the calendar. Um, there's just too many people that were flat footed, short or overhedged is what I covered with Shauna. Uh, on the Yahoo interview that uh, I think this money has to go to work. You got 4.4 trillion cash on the sidelines. And when everyone's expecting that correction is when you don't get it. So uh, the easy money, as we've said, may have been made in the general indices in the short term. I think it's just getting started in um, cyclicals, namely banks, defense stocks, and energy. So moving ahead, um, you know, to just clarify on that point, though, why the the this is this is coming about with the economically sensitive names is managers were forced in 2020 to pay up whatever was required for any small pockets of growth that they could find because in a slow growing economy, your options to buy earnings growth are very limited. And uh, now that the vaccine is in sight, now that the recovery is in sight, now that the stimulus money is getting into the system, now that you're getting the breath, managers have a plethora of options across all different sectors where they can buy that same earnings growth and growth prospects over the next eight quarters at much lower multiples. So you're getting you know, more meat for less money and that's what's, what's happening. And that's why you're seeing the breath and that's why you're seeing the relative outperformance. So thank you again to Shauna Smith, Adam Shapiro, Sarah Smith, and Brigitte Webb. Moving on to uh, Reuters on Tuesday, this was Shreya Ramakrishnan. So thank you, Shreya and Meta Singh for including me in their article. Uh, this was about uh, Pelosi, uh, Speaker Pelosi and Secretary Mnuchin getting together. The headlines were out that day, and I said markets are excited to see that communication has begun once again. If you recall, after the election, the administration said, we're out, Congress, you can feel free to talk amongst yourselves. So Mnuchin was back in the game, which is a very good thing because he has a tendency to bring people together if there's a possibility of bringing people together. And uh, and I said, this this stimulus is about the next handful of weeks and months to keep businesses open, to keep people employed until demand is unleashed as more and more people get vaccinated. So we have the pent up demand. However, we do need that bridge and hopefully it'll be the 500 billion will get repurposed either through an executive uh, branch or through Congress and we'll be off to the races. And then if on the low odds at present, the Democrats sweep the uh, Senate, they would be able to do another $2 trillion for Green New Deal and to bail out the states. If they don't win that, which the odds seem to suggest, then uh, they should take the $500 billion they can get now because after that election, and by then the vaccines will be out, the likelihood of getting anything would be very, very slim. 
So uh, that's that. And then on Monday morning, I was on with Jill Wagner on Cheddar. And I want to thank Jill, Francesca Conti, uh, who is the producer, and also uh, Taylor Craig for helping to um, organize everything and, and get me situated on the, uh, on the uh, connection, etc. So uh, this was a great uh, interview. And by the way, you can go to hedgefundtips.com, click on Featured On, and watch any of these. And the reason, it's, it's, it's basically time management. It's kind of like audible. I do all the research, I do all the preparation, and in you know, five, this in this case it was a ten-minute segment. In in uh, Fox it was five, and in uh, um, Yahoo I think it was seven and a half or eight. But in those short clips, you're getting like hours worth of research. The most important points in Cliff's notes in an easy to digest fo uh, um, format. So I'd suggest when you have time, click on featured on. You watch these. You're going to get really hours worth of research in minutes and it saves you a lot of time and uh, it's it's the right price free is a good price so um, moving right along with um, with Jill we went in a different direction we talked about uh, all the things that we've discussed but we also talked about the consumer uh, being in really good shape with two and a half trillion dollars of savings massive pent-up demand uh, consumer confidence returning with the vaccine vaccinations and inventories, business inventories at their leanest level in history relative to the economic levels that we have. So as that consumer confidence returns shortly, uh, factories are going to have to incre increase production dramatically and rapidly, uh, which is a very, very positive thing for GDP. So uh, that was that. And then that also relates to a concept that we covered with, with her, with Jill, called output gap. GDP output gap, which is the difference between actual GDP and GDP at full employment and full productivity. That gap got to negative double digits, around 10% earlier in Q2 of 2020. It's now around negative 3.5%. Now, what I love about this stat is it's only happened two other times in history. One, it happened in Q2 of 2009, and we know that was the beginning of a 10-year bull market rally, uh, so that was really positive to see. And it happened in Q4 of 1982, and you could argue that was the beginning of an 18-year bull market rally. Now, that 18 years was interrupted by 1987 when you had the big, quick 30-some-odd 30, 30 percent crash like we had this year. Um, but it was a secular bull. And I think that's basically what we have here. We had a big interruption this year uh, uh, in a long secular bull that potentially started in 2009. So we've really got a long tail of another uh, potentially as, as much as, uh, you know, eight, eight, 10 years. Uh, you know, there'll be hiccups, obviously. There'll be corrections, obviously. But the demographics with the 85 million millennials, housing formation, everything's pointing in the right direction. And to see it synchronized with this output gap statistic, 1982 and 2009, the beginning of huge new business cycles, just like we have now, uh, is just, it really aligns things. And by the way, what else happened in 2009 and 82 when you had the output gap this wide? 
uh, cyclicals and small caps outperformed in the early stages. Go figure, new business cycle. We've, we've emphasized that for many, many weeks. And, uh, and that continues more and more stars aligned to the thesis. And now price is confirming it. And now you're seeing consensus move in that direction. And then the institutional money flows in and we're off to the races. So uh, just again, you know, keep your eyes glued to um, upward earnings revisions. Those are the three key words you wanna be focused on moving forward. And I think for 2021, because people say, oh my God, we're trading at 21, 22 times forward. Number one, your rates are nothing. So your discount rate <laughs> you know, is so low that a 21, 22% is, is justified. That's number one. Number two, you're, um, if you, you're, you're, you're trading trough earnings. If you trade back to trend earnings, which we'll recover to by 2022, et cetera, we're actually at a, a relatively low multiple. But in the interim, what you're gonna see is that earnings are too low. They're at $169 right now. Uh, Costin over at Goldman's got them at 175. I think they could be higher than that. And where's the, where's the money gonna come from? It's gonna come from banks. Banks are going to drop a ton of earnings to the bottom line that no one's expecting because no one really understood what Cecil was in the beginning of this year, which we've been pounding the table on since since literally April. And over the summer, we did a CNBC Europe uh, thing on it. Um, you can Google Tom Hayes, CNBC London, I think. Um, and we reemphasized it with Jill on Monday that it came at the exact wrong time Cecil did, uh, which for forced banks to assume the worst, the worst possible case scenario, and then take 100% of expected losses on the basis of that scenario, all up front, all at once in the middle of a crisis. Talk about stupid. So um, long and the short of it is, the banks collectively took $110 billion of credit reserves in Q1 and Q2 on the assumption that unemployment rate would go up to 20%. Well, just the opposite has happened. It's down to 6.9%. And by the way, here's a news flash. We'll see it, what happens tomorrow. But I said it on uh, Yahoo that... Um, it's at 6.9, but based on continuing claims coming down every single week, and they've come down from 25 million in May to 5.52 million this morning, um, I would expect to see, you know, consensus is 6.8. I think we could see 6.7, maybe even 6.5 or lower on the unemployment rate, which is just staggering. No one could have seen that when we were at 14.1. I definitely expected, uh, I think I was calling for, I was like the outlier. People would laugh at me. I said high single digits. I thought it would be in the nines. Here we are. We could, we could have a 6.5, 6.667 print tomorrow. Uh, with the seasonal holiday hiring uh, kicking in to, to assist that in addition to the continuing claims declining and we're going to be cooking. So the um, projections for tomorrow are, um, the estimates for tomorrow are 
469,000 non-farm payrolls. I, I think we'll be able to beat that with this with the uh, holiday hiring and the unemployment rate 68. I think I think we're going to crush that. We'll see, but uh, that could be a very good thing. We saw great services PMI number today it came in at 58.4 versus 57.7 estimate, and initial jobless claims were much lower than expected, 712,000 versus 775 expected. So, uh, but the key number again to emphasize is um, the continuing claims continues to drop. The last print was 6.08 million. Uh, we're at 5.52, and that's gonna have an impact on that number tomorrow. So that's a good thing. So one, you're gonna have a huge amount of reserves released from the banks. That comes back as earnings. Okay, no one has that priced in, although they're starting to talk about it now. We've been talking about it since July. Um, and I think they're probably over-reserved by half. So call it $60 billion of earnings power coming back that's not priced into the stocks uh, over the next four to eight quarters. The market will start to sniff it out and discount it back to the future. And that's why you're seeing some, some of these bank stocks now start to get a bid. And the second one, which we've been talking about, which everyone looked like I had three heads, was Boeing. Boeing is is has lost like $20 of earnings power. That's going to start coming back. And we saw the first in, in, inkling of that today with the Ryanair uh, purchased 71 737 maxes. The max got ungrounded. They did their flight. Everything is, is back to normal. And you're going to see that earnings power just totally juice the S&P for 2021 and 2022. So I think, you know, 170, you know, 169 is too low. That's consensus. I think you're going to see it certainly hit Costin's, but maybe a little higher. I mean, I, Jim Paulson was out at $200. That might be a lot, but imagine we hit 185, 187 in that range, maybe 190. Um, you know, we could really be off to the races here with low rates and a commentated Fed and everything else in place. So, um, uh, and herd immunity by May, which which is a which is a good thing. So really enjoyed talking with Jill Wagner, and again thank you to Francesca Conte, Conte and Taylor Craig over at Cheddar. Moving right along, want to cover our Ask Me Anything question of the week. Every week, um, if you send in your questions, we'll cover a couple of them on the call. Uh, John, uh, who I've brought up a few times, he owns a bunch of newspapers out in Ohio. He says, Tom, always thanks for your consideration. Uh, would you would you ever recommend an ETF to an individual investor or hedge fund? The main reason I ask is Tesla will be added to the S&P soon and many funds will need to buy Tesla, possibly driving up their stock price. Wondering if buying into a fund ETF that will be adding them would be a good move or not. If you agree, which ones may be good to take advantage of this. Okay, so number one, a lot of these, this recent move in Tesla was anticipating the inclusion in the S&P 500, so that that is already done. Uh, that was missed. Um, two, um, uh, you know, do, do, do we use ETFs? Yeah, I mean, my knitting is sector rotation and dislocation. That That's where I excel. That's where I get alpha. So whenever there's a problem, people call me. What's going on with banks? What's going on with energy? What's going on with defense stocks? You know, and, and that's that's where I make my knitting. And then I express it in 
aggressive ways and delicate ways with derivatives so that I can juice them and then I, I drill down. So sometimes I just want to get broad exposure quickly until I can drill down. So I'll, I'll use a sector ETF to get my initial exposure and then I'll drill down and then I'll express some in derivatives. Now ETFs generally are great because so for my accredited investors and, and qualified institutions that I manage their money directly, we have a pocket of their portfolio that's balanced beta. I, I, I did ran 10,000 iterations. I have a method that, you know, since 1974 has done 10.9% a year. So that's kind of like the safe part of the portfolio. And then the alpha part, so that's the beta, what I call balanced beta. And then the alpha part where we get the outperformance, we express you know, aggressively individual names and sectors uh, many times through derivatives, through spreads, and that's where we can dramatically outperform. Um, so I totally believe in ETFs. One, if you want to get broad sector exposure, if you see a theme emerging. Two, if you just want to have general uh, market exposure, uh, it's a good cheap way to get it quickly before you can drill down to see where to, to best allocate the money. Uh, but, you know, if you're a regular everyday person that's not doing this 24-7 because it's your passion and you love it, um, you know, follow Warren Buffett's advice. I mean, I think he told his heirs to put 90% in an S&P index fund, low cost, and 10% in uh, T-bills, I guess, in case the world blows up, and just forget about it. And uh, that's a cheap, no-brainer way to do it, and you can go about it, spend time with your family, live your life. You're not going to beat the market. You're not going to, um, you know, shoot the lights out. But over time, that compounds at, uh, well, we're going to talk about the long-term total return. We've underperformed for the last 20 years, and I think that's going to change despite all the uh, um, pundits talking about new normals and we're going to lose a decade and all this other nonsense. Uh, we just had that, by the way. That's rearview mirror recency bias. Uh, that was 2000 to 2020, where we compounded at about 4% ex-dividends. And now we're going to start to probably revert back to the long-term trend, which depending where you start is 8 to 10% a year. So to answer your question, Tesla, I, I mean, you missed that story. You know, when, when that's in the headline, you've already missed it. Uh, I'm not, that doesn't mean it can't go higher. Uh, but I think in the short term, it's a little overheated. Let it take a breath. If you want to get involved, revisit it. But, I, you know, it, it's very hard to get to the valuation. I would never bet against Elon Musk. That's a, that's a dumb trade. Uh, but at the same time, it's very hard to justify the current valuation. So uh, the index inclusion that's already been priced in, uh, that's been part of, part of the thing. So, so the, to answer your question, ETFs are fine. They're tax efficient. Uh, good way to get exposure. I told you some ways to do it. And... Um, as far as Tesla, you have my two thoughts on that, uh, two cents on that. And I think that was a very helpful question. I hope everyone got some value. Thanks for John sending that in. And if you have questions for Ask Me Anything, please email them to info at hedgefundtips.com and we'll include them in future podcast video casts. Moving right along, uh, I just want to show that a, opinion follows trend. So now that price is confirming where we saw you know, energy up 33% in November, defense stocks 23%, banks up 20%. Um, and that's the calendar. If you take like two days before these, these figures double, uh, now everyone's saying December 1st, it's time for value, value stocks to shine. If you recall, five weeks ago, the headlines were 
Uh, is value investing dead? Is it broken? Will it ever work again? Why isn't it working? It's underperformed for 15 years. And we went through over the last 100 years how it's very normal to have 15-year cycles where growth outperforms. However, over the 100-year period, value outperforms by 3% a year compounded, and you can never catch that. So, um, uh, so that's where we are. Sentiment is changing. Flows are changing. Why? Here's the next headline from Barron's. Why 2021 may be the last, uh, may at last be the year of the great rotation. Okay, great. You know, thanks for that. Uh, yesterday's news tomorrow, uh, you know, after the biggest value month, I think in 25 years, uh, now the headlines are coming. Now, uh, this was three surprising market stats that can help investors going into 2021. Ryan Dietrich of LPL put this out this morning on CNBC. I thought it was pretty good, so I'm going to highlight a couple of them. Uh, when November gains are 10% or greater, six, what, six to 12 months out, the average return was double digits, and the market was up 80% of the time a year out. Um the last time we had two months in a year that were 10% months, uh, we had April and we just had November, was 1982. Again, remember what I said about the output gap. That was also the last time we had that. And what did that begin? An 18-year bull market. So um, more stars aligning with that 1982-2009 period, new business cycle, cyclicals outperform, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Decembers have averaged 1.5% uh, returns uh, for the long term, and it's the second strongest month of the year. We know that. Uh, November could steal some of those gains because we had But, you know, everyone keeps talking about this great November. It basically just recaptured what it lost the month before. So it's not like it had this monster breakout of 10%. Uh, nonetheless, uh, worth bearing in mind. In election years, December was only down once since 1984, and that kind of points to what we've been talking a lot about with, uh, despite the fact that sentiment is elevated, rather than looking at it as Q1 of 2018 when we got the correction, looking at it as uh, Q4 of 2016 after that election, I think a lot of the characteristics are similar, and that would imply the odds of us having a positive December where Santa Claus comes to town and the Grinch is taken out back and shot behind the barn uh, is is promising. And um, this will be the first year in history that uh, the market was down 30% at a point in the year and finished the year positive, so that's good to see as well. But then again, what Secretary Mnuchin and Chair Powell and the and uh, Congress came together to do, which saved us from a Great Depression with the administration in March and April, is completely unprecedented. They absolutely saved us from a Great Depression, and I hope they'll go down in history uh, as such because they what they did was absolutely amazing. Uh, the market's rally is finally widening. Again, yesterday's news tomorrow. Uh, this came out this week from the Wall Street Journal. And now we get all the bullish headlines. So four, David Costin's out. Four reasons why the S&P will soar 25% by the end of 2022, according to Costin. And his thesis here is, Tina, there is no alternative. Rates are low. You have an economy that's getting better. Earnings that are growing uh, and rates staying 
super low, meaning you can't get any returns in cash, you can't get any returns in bonds, so you have to get an equity exposure. And uh, he's got his earnings at 175, uh, which is 5% above the consensus. I think those are still low, so that's a bullish headline. Now, another one, investors are overlooking this one thing major bank says as it sets a 4,000 price target on the S&P. Now, I don't love all these bullish headlines. I gotta be honest with you. I think the time for the pullback though is probably Q1. Maybe we'll get a surprise in December in the short term. It could happen. But um, uh, I, I, I think there's enough money that has to get in still that uh, to force it to, to be relatively stable through the end of the year, if not a potential melt up. I mean, that's certainly something that no one's discussing that could be in the cards. Uh, what he's saying here with the fourth, this is Barclays uh, with the 4,000 price target 12 months out is with central banks set to remain accommodative for several years, and we've got the Fed meeting coming up in the next couple of weeks, a likely drop in global trade tensions, that's true, and unappetizing fixed income returns, we remain overweight risk assets over core bonds, uh, earnings per share, so they've taken theirs up to 173, which is also above consensus, and um, and that's that's there. I'm just giving you a sampling. Sean Darby over at Jefferies lifted his 2021 price target to 4,200, multiple positive catalysts, uh, synchronized global upswing. The feeling is that the global economy is resynchronizing with household, corporate, and government balance sheets expanding simultaneously alongside aggressive monetary policy. The much maligned value and cyclical, cyclical sectors are slowly making a comeback. Last month was not slow. Uh, as inflation pressures begin to return, we've seen it in the steepening yield curve. Uh, the 10-year yield almost got to 1%. It's, I think it's back down in the mid-90 basis points, but we'll get there. And if you recall over the summer when, when uh, it was at 53 bips and everyone said it was going to 30, I said my money's on it, finishes the year over one uh, before it goes to 30. And uh, so far, we'll see if that turns out to be true. Hasn't done it yet. So uh, this rotation has been supported by a steepening yield curve with uh, growthier stocks trading sideways, positive vaccine news, more visibility and a sentiment shift. You know, my, my closing line since August has been don't bet against science, don't bet against science, don't bet against science. And sure enough, they got it done. Operation Warp Speed, a lot of credit to the administration for putting out the money and letting them produce the vaccines in the background at risk and setting up distribution with the army ahead of time. So all of those things did take leadership, regardless of what side of the aisle you're, you're on. Uh, the other point he makes here, Darby over at Jeffries, rising global capacity utilization rates, that's key. Those have been subdued even throughout the expansion since 2009. A firmer producer prices, improving world trade volume, Booming housing and autos and a weak dollar are the perfect environment for S&P uh, 500 industrials. The material sector is blowing off in a response to a weaker dollar, higher commodity prices, and an upswing in global manufacturing and a restocking cycle. So we covered inventories. Uh, we've been covering commodities for many weeks, talking about this. I, I think we're set up for a multi-year, uh, three to five year commodity super cycle again, led by emerging markets. And I said that three or four times on CNBC Indonesia in the last four months. Now we're starting to see it with price, copper breaking out, oil getting a bid, um, gold had led, led earlier in the year. So this is a really good, as well as uh, he says, credit 
China's credit impulse, and I've covered that many times on CGTN, the credit expansion, the loan expansion, and emphasize the importance of lifting the asset cap on Wells Fargo, one of our largest lenders, to have a sustainable recovery as they are a credit transmission mechanism. So for any administration uh, officials, uh, get that done. You know, I mean, we've got to have Wells Fargo in the picture here. They've got unlimited lending capacity, except, except you've got a governor on their ability to do that because of sins they committed four years ago, who none of the sinners are around anymore. They've replaced all of management, so let's get that done. Um, so that's the story from Darby over at um, Jeffries. And then Miles Edlin over at Yahoo kind of does a summary of these. Uh, Wall Street is already increasing its 2021 price targets. And he talked about Darby's, um, uh, Darby's uh, price target increase to 4,200 with expectations of 30% earnings growth. The consensus is at 22%. So uh, that's, that's quite interesting. He also has GDP at 4.5, which is above consensus. I think it's below reality with 25% uh, M2 money supply growth year on year. Usually about a quarter translates in. I think 5 6% GDP growth in 2021. So we'll see. Um, he also talks about Costin's uh, increasing his price target. And... Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. Okay, a Baird strategist is talking about Roaring Twenties, um, kind of some of the themes that we've hit on over the last four or five months. So now it's starting to become consensus. So opinion follows trend, and now the money will follow opinion. The big money, institutional money, will start to uh, shift into this just as they had shifted into FANG when everyone was talking FANG. Uh, Bank of America says investor bullishness is rising, but not yet euphoric. We covered this two weeks ago in the Bank of America Global Fund Manager survey. This is a different survey, and here's why that signals the S&P could gain 10% over the next year. Uh, their sell side indicator rose to 57.8, the highest level of bullishness in 18 months. Usually when Wall Street is bullish, that's a bearish sign for stocks. But right now, investor sentiment is not at the euphoric level that is typically seen at the conclusion of bull markets, meaning there's more upside for S&P 500 in 2021, 10% total return over the next 12 months. So they're, they're being conservative and they're probably taking, they're probably bearish and they probably have to take it up a little bit because they've missed it. Uh, but the, the, the key is they have to take it up. So other uh, headwinds for FANG that we had talked about over the summer that are now coming to bear, Facebook, Google uh, to face new antitrust suits in the U.S. There was more stuff. Uh, I put out an article about on Bloomberg. The only thing that the world agrees upon is regulating big tech. So these headwinds are going to continue, and that's going to help the relative outperformance story that we've made the case for in recent months. This was interesting from Business Insider. U.S. banks weathered a record plunge in lending income as the COVID uh, hit profits, except for the fact that uh, the drop in lending income did little to dent overall profitability. Why? Because in Q3, slashed loan loss provisions helped net profits jump $32.4 billion to $51.2 billion in the third quarter, the FDIC said. So this was the FDIC report. They were complaining about the flat uh, yield curve, uh, which is now steepened, by the way. So we're going to see that those results from Q4 as it's steepened in the last couple of months. 
this net interest is going to be less of a story. Plus, you're going to get more of the loan loss reserves, and it's going to be a home run, and it's going to add to earnings. And that's why I think cost at 175 is conservative, and I think GDP at uh, you know 4% is conservative. Uh, we got a tailwind with Wells Fargo being upgraded yet again this week by Morgan Stanley. Uh, analyst Betsy Grasick upgraded Wells Fargo to overweight from equal weight with a $40 price target. And the stock is now, I think, up uh, to about $29. Is it or 28 or 29 Long story short, it's about 38% off the recent lows in the last five weeks. Uh, so that's the bank story. Now you got the energy story. All the energy people who said energy's over, you know, uh, Elon Musk is going to take over the world with his battery cars. It's just not the case because what people continue to forget in the developed world is that the population growth and the emergence to the middle class in the developing world, ING, developing, um, uh, is exceeding the share best case scenario share of EVs in the next 10 years. So while you're going to get a certain percentage increase of share of EVs on the fixed number of people we have presently, that population growth, the middle class in the emerging markets, like the Indonesians of the world, like Africa, like India, like parts of China, is going to dramatically exceed the increased share. So we're going to have certainly a lot more EVs, but we're going to have a lot more total cars. So even if EVs gain 10 share, the, the entire pie might be 40% bigger. So, uh, and there have been no major investments in uh, major projects for the last five years uh, because the money wasn't available from Wall Street. And, um, and you've had bankruptcies and you're going to have regulations from the new administration. Supply is going to go down. Demand is going to go up with the vaccinations and people getting back to their lives. And air travel, by the way, that's going to be the most important thing. Uh, so uh, so now they're talking Shell's cash flow story is too good to ignore. It's time to buy the stock after it's up 20-30% off the lows. Uh, energy stock short sellers took a $6.3 billion loss in November as oil prices rebounded. Everyone was on the wrong side of the boat. Oil futures settle higher as OPEC Plus agrees to gradual increase in production at the start of the year. It's not an increase of production. It's a um, smaller than expected cut. So they started with 9.7 million barrels a day. They, they, they stuck to that. Then they did 7.7 .7 million barrels a day cuts. Now, rather than going to 5.7 million barrels a day cuts, they're going to 7.2 million barrels a day cuts. So they're continuing to take supply off as demand is going to hockey stick and uh, an increased regulation from the new administration. You, like I said, it's just a matter of time. Three, four dollars at the pump is coming to a theater near you. Uh, GE stock has been on the rise because lots of things are going right. Al Root writes at, at Barron's. The most important thing going right, this is a levered play on the vaccine and aircraft. He talks about another, you know, wind turbines and uh, different things that are also working. That That's great. But Fundamentally, this is a vaccine play. It's up 100% off the lows, or not, not quite, probably about 80% off the lows. So, of course, opinion follows trend. Cruise operator stock surged toward multi-month highs as Bank of America analysts boost price targets. Uh, so these were all up six to eight months, six to eight percent. Um, you know, again, after they're up 50 or 100%, depending on the name, off the lows. But you know, look, 
this is this is the key because once you get the blessing from the sell side then the institutional managers can start to put real money to work without having to worry about getting fired they have the seal of approval and then uh it it starts to uh actualize 100% of America, this is Operation Warp Speed of Americans that want the vaccine will have had the vaccine by June, says the Operation Warp Speed official. Fauci said the same thing on Yahoo Finance or uh, no, on Cheddar the other day. Uh, Ryanair, it wasn't 71. They bought 75 Boeing Max Jets in the largest order since the grounding. This is just the beginning. Expect to see more and more companies plowing in to get in the front of the line as business comes back. Uh, Mnuchin, Pelosi discussed stimulus package. We talked about that. Uh, and the article of the week, the U2 elevation stock market and sentiment results. We've covered a lot of the subjects, but I wanted to emphasize the point that um, we acknowledge that the market is elevated. We acknowledge that sentiment is euphoric, and yet we think there might be some more juice because these are known quantities and the way that the positioning is structured going into year end. So um, we covered most of this. We covered the savings and inventories, the output gap, cyclicals. This is a better picture rather than just doing the calendar month of November. Since before the election, when we put out the Back to the Future article, which was talking about a setup to make a lot of money in a short period of time, it's realized. Here's the XLE uh, trough to peak, 47.25% in the last five weeks. Um, and it's and it's now making a, a move back up to the highs since the OPEC meeting in the last day. Uh, defense stocks trough to peak up 29.31% in the last four or five weeks. Uh, bank stocks trough to peak up 28.93% uh, in the last four to five weeks. You compare it to tech and communication services, we're only up 14% relatively trough to peak. And the longer view, which is what I wanted to really emphasize, was I put this chart here um, when I say, you know, everyone's saying we're elevated, we're due for a crash. This is recency bias, because if you actually take a one step back, you'll see that the Dow has effectively been, and the reason I'm covering the Dow versus the S&P, one is, um, the focus is on Dow 30,000 this week, so I just wanted to be in line with theme. But the Dow is up 12.9% in the last three years basically, okay? From the January uh, 2018 peak, which is a 4.09% per year ex-dividends compound annual growth rate. And this is well below trend, depending where you start, it's eight to 10% a year total return for the last 100 years. And the implication here is rather than we've rallied 60% off the bottom, everyone's looking here, uh, what you should be looking at is we've consolidated a decade long of gains for the last three years, and now we're ready to break out of this consolidation for the next leg higher, the next multi-year move uh, higher in the new business cycle. So everyone keeps looking at this rally. This this is just this is part of a piece of a long-term consolidation. We're now ready for breakout. If you step back even further, since 2000 peak to now, uh, the compound annual growth rate is also well below the long-term trend at 4.55% compounded since, since the 2000 peak. 
uh, X dividends. So we have, forget about a lost decade, we just lost two decades. Now we play catch up, which means in theory, it's like uh, um, Powell used to talk about symmetric inflation. How about symmetric stock market returns? We've been struggling with this four or call it 6% total return relative to historic eight to 10%. We may have to do 12% for a while just to get back on trend. Uh, if you think about think about it over the long term versus looking at the short term. Now everyone's saying, but we're up 60%, we have to crash. Well, let's look at the last three times we had 60% rallies in a new business cycle off a crash. 2002 to 2003, we rallied 60%. What happened next? We rallied for another few years. 2009 to, to mid-2009, we rallied 60% off the lows. What happened next? We rallied for another uh, 11 years, basically. Uh, same thing in the shorter term trend in 2011 uh, to 2012, we, 2013, we rallied 60%. What happened next? We rallied for another two years. We've just rallied 60%. I think we've got multi-years ahead of us. That doesn't bar us from getting five, three or five or 10% pullbacks. It could happen, you know, it could happen now. It could happen in, in Q1, a, a little pullback, but the trend is up and you have to get positioned to take advantage. Uh, yield curve continues to steepen. Here's the Wells Fargo update up 39.67. And I think we made some more headway today, but 39.67 off the lows in the past uh, five weeks. And uh, these are some important points. Remember, opinion follows trend. Wells Fargo was upgraded by Morgan Stanley with a $40 price target. Expect more bearish sell-side analysts and commentators to come out bullish on banks in coming weeks. The floodgates will open after it's up 50%. Never forget, Wall Street is the only market in the world that when they hold a 50% off clearance sale, no one shows up, okay? It's also the only place in the world that if you had the courage to buy it down when we were talking when it was down 55%, uh, and when you bought it on clearance, People will be tripping over themselves to take it off your hands after it's up 100% off the lows. So be sure to help them out when the time comes. But for now, uh, just you know, sit tight and let it ride and let this thing play out because we're still trading at a big discount to book. Books, which I covered with Shauna, is about 40 bucks a share. And the last two times, it's only done it two times in its history. It recovered to book within months and actually overshot versus years. I think we're going to see the exact same thing now. And uh, and that's why we like Wells Fargo and we've owned Wells Fargo and continue to own and added on every weakness opportunity in the last couple of months. And now we've got a monster position that's getting monster gains and it's going to continue. So there's plenty of opportunity in these left behind sectors. That was my theme for the last few weeks. While the easy money may have been made in the short term off the index lows uh, from March, the easy money is just starting in the left for dead sectors, uh, banks, defense stocks and energy. And they've had quite a move in the last few weeks. Sentiment, as we've covered, is overdone at 490 
7% on the AAII. However, that was the same in 2016 and you still had a multi-year rally. 2018, you did get the short-term correction. So I'm leaning that we're closer to 2016, even though we're extended. Fear and greed, CNN is also extended. So we have to be mindful. I mean, if you're in, you know, stocks trading at 200 times sales, you may want to lighten up. If you're in stocks that are still down 30% on the year, then you probably don't have much to worry about and you've got a decent margin of safety provided their quality franchises. Uh, so that's the bad news. The good news is everyone knows this and when everyone's looking for the correction is when you might not get it. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, you'll see a parade of top callers praying for a viable pullback to catch their benchmarks. Even if they're right in the short term and we get a minor pullback, they'll be wrong in the intermediate term as the new business cycle has just begun. So um, that's it for this week. I want to thank you for listening in. Uh, we're going to be back next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, if you're around tomorrow, uh, One American News at 4.30 with Greta Wall and sometime between 7 and 7.30 on CGTN America. And we'll see you then. Have a great one and talk to you soon. <laughs>